That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's one way to get away from a sermon. Uh, I'm in youth ministry. Okay. Yeah, no problem. We are concluding our little mini-series today in the book of Revelation chapter 21. If you brought your Bibles, uh, not your phones, your Bibles, your Bible. I know you have your phones, but I'm asking you if you have your Bibles. Uh, Revelation 21, we'll look at the first five verses and then we'll continue a little bit later. And we'll look at a few verses in chapter 22. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5 as we begin. And I saw, notice, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw a holy city, notice, new. This is not Jerusalem that exists today. This is a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. So this is in heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Please underscore that. And I heard a great voice of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So there's no more temple. There's no more tabernacle. Now he's... It's going to be all over us, and we'll discuss that in a few moments. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Can you imagine that? No more pain? Just think about that. No more tears. Just think about a world where there's no pain. Just try to... I know this is beyond our scope of understanding. Try to imagine a life where you're not crying anymore over someone or something. Think about how incredible that is. Neither sorrow anymore. Verse 5, please. And that he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Did you see that? And he said unto me, Right, for these things are true. These things are faithful. We'll stop right there for now. I've entitled this message, There is no place like home. I'm sure you've seen the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy. No place like home. Well, that's true spiritually too, my friends. There is no place like home. This morning we're going to discover a series of new things. We'll be looking at The new heavens, a new earth, a new city where God's people will spend all of eternity forever and ever and ever. Now you think about how long forever is. Again, this is beyond the scope of our understanding because we are naturally minded. We only think naturally and this concept of eternity is supernatural it's very hard for us to grasp what it means that we're going to be living forever 
It's hard for us to grasp this, but this is what the Bible there that this is our ultimate destiny. You see, we've seen the result of man. We've seen the result of the natural world. We've seen the result of what people do. We've seen the result of where man deifies man. We've seen the result where man has placed himself upon the throne. Where man has become sovereign. Where man has elevated his scepter and declared before the world that I am God. I'm on the throne where man has, has constructed their own personal tower of, of Babel. Declaring their independence of God. We've seen the results of man and what they've done. Wars. Death. Destruction. Crime. Debauchery. Barbarity. Sin. Indescribable. Acts of cruelness and devastation. Prisons filled to capacity. Abortion rising to new levels of disgust and disgrace. We've seen the results of man and what man has done and how the devil has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Man that has lived a life here on earth godless, doing their own thing. But there's a new day coming. There's a new city that is going to rise. Second Peter says we are looking for a new earth, a new heaven, chapter 3 verse 13, which dwelleth righteousness. Peter is selling, telling us in the beginning that, that there's going to be a new city, a new heaven where righteousness will reign. There'll be no more sin, no debauchery, nothing of the flesh, nothing of the natural, it is completely new, and God will do it and complete it. Isaiah 66 tells us the new heavens, the new earth will be eternal. And this is in fulfillment of a prophecy. And I've said this over and over again, what separates the Bible from any other religious book, from the Quran, from the Vedas and the Hindu books, and all these other religious books, and manuscripts in Buddhism, anything. What sets the Bible apart clearly, emphatically, and wholeheartedly is the fact that it's the only book that speaks about prophecy. No other book dare speaks about prophecy because they don't know, because those books are written by the natural man. But God inspired men and gave them insight to speak of a future. And he gives us details of what will take place in the future. Nowhere else do you see this so clearly. And really, I want to give you two scriptures from the book of Daniel that will help us understand what I'm trying to share with you today that gives us a bit of a backdrop in our teaching this morning. And it's more of a teaching today. We look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Then we'll look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And so we know the story. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And Daniel interprets the dream of the statue. And he sees the head of gold being Babylon. He sees the Persia, the Medes and the Persians being the arms of, of silver. He sees the Greek nation, which was, had the, uh, the abdomen of bronze. And then the Romans, the legs of iron and clay and their, their ten toes filled with mire and clay and, and out of the ten toes 
Verse 44, I want you to notice verse 45, something happens. It will break into pieces. For as much as thou sawest, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it will break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass after the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. And so there's coming another kingdom. Verse 44, can we read this? Sorry, I didn't read it. Verse 44, please. Verse 44. We just, yeah. And in the, look at this now. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So God's going to set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And this kingdom will come after, notice now, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces the other kingdoms. These are man-made kingdoms. And it's going to come right after the, 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 uh, where the feet and the toes are, and that's signifying that it's going to come after this particular kingdom. And many scholars believe, I believe very, 100%, I believe this without any doubt, that we're still living under the mindset of the Greco-Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, really, and all of its status and all of the how they lived and what they brought to the world, we still live in that mindset. Rome has, the Roman nation has never been completely destroyed as far as no nation ever destroyed it. And so many believe that we're still living in that Roman civilization of life and how people live. In other words, the mindset. We're still living in that mindset. We're still living in the way they, they, they brought uh, society into being. How we have our governments, how we have our, 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 our leisure, how we eat, how we function in society, all stems from the Greco-Roman Empire. And the Bible says th those were four kingdoms, but there's a fifth kingdom coming that will destroy this kingdom, and it's not made by the hands of men. Let's fast forward to Daniel chapter 7, and I want you to see something. Okay, so before we do that, here we are. Thank you. So you see the head is Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. He was destroyed. The Iraq, Iraq, the nation of Babylon, Iraq was destroyed by the Persians. The Bible speaks of two arms in this nation. How amazing is Bible prophecy? Well, back in the day, when, when the Persians destroyed Babylon... They were two nations in one, the Medes and the Persians. And the Bible speaks of this, two nations in one, hence the two arms. Then we come to, and they were silver. And then the, the abdomen was of bronze, the Greeks, called the Bronze Age. The Greeks were the only civilization that used bronze for their military affairs. The sword was made out of bronze, shields. And they were destroyed by the Romans of iron and clay and we know Rome is known for the iron fist of Rome iron here the Romans and here the toes of, of clay and iron mixed together and in this situation here and many believe that this will be what is known today as the the ten uh, the, the common markets there's ten nations and ten of them, there may not always be ten, but, but, but when, when the Lord comes back, there'll be ten in the European common market. Many believe that. Uh, that's debatable. But there's going to be a government system under the Roman system that will be reigning and that 
God's kingdom will come during this time and destroy it. And we see this in chapter 2, verse 44, 45. And let's go now to Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to see verse 13 and 14. And this is where we come to our scripture. This is Daniel who has a vision. Daniel had prophetic visions. And I saw in the night vision. And behold, one like the Son of Man. What did Jesus call himself? Son of Man. Son of Man speaks of two things. His humanity and his divinity. The Son of Man came from the clouds of heaven. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back what? In the clouds. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and 17. The clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. The contrast, don't, leave the scripture on please. The contrast between this kingdom is that that's everlasting. And man's kingdom, it fell. Every nation fell because it was a nation built by the hands of men. But this this kingdom will never fall because it's not a natural kingdom. It's the kingdom that will be brought by our Lord when he comes again. It's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom. This kingdom will not pass away and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. They are speaking about the Messiah. This is what the Jews were waiting for originally when Jesus came, the reason why they rejected Jesus is because they were waiting for a militant Messiah that would come and destroy their enemies. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to first come as a lamb. They didn't understand the lambship of God. They wanted the lionship, the lion of Judah, but you can't have the lion of Judah unless you have the lamb first, and they missed it. But when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, he's coming back as a lion. And that's what we see here. The Son of Man here is a picture of Jesus, the Messiah. Daniel sees him, and we're going to see this very clearly expressed in the book of Revelation. And so, here in our text, we see another Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem. This is our place of destiny, verse 14 and 15. Notice what it says in verse 14 and 15 in Revelation 21. This is our hope, my friends. And the truth is, as you dig a little deeper, I want you to notice that in the book of Genesis, there was a man by the name of Abraham. He was very different, very unique. And what was unique about him, there are so many things we can say, but what was unique about Abraham, he was looking, the Bible says, this is back thousands of years ago and the Bible tells us and Hebrews picks up on this that as he was wandering around he was looking for a city whose builder and maker maker and builder is God and he went about his life searching looking for this eternal city did you know that about Abraham? absolutely God put something in his heart and in a sense we are like Abraham looking for Jesus, looking for our blessed hope, where he said that I've gone to prepare a place for you and where I'm going, 
I'm coming back to receive you. There's something. Listen, friends. I believe God has put something in our hearts. Every true believer are like spiritual Abrahams. We're looking for a place of destiny. We're looking for something that's more, more than what this world offers. We're looking for a place that's beyond this natural realm. Looking for something beyond this world. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 that God has put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? If you're a true believer, I repeat, a true believer, something inside of you is yearning. You're not satisfied with this world. This world can't satisfy you. The things of this world can't satisfy you. That's what the Bible says. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Eternity. You know that you know that you know that you know that there's something more. There's an eternal heartbeat inside of you. Something is propelling you to another place. You know there's something more. And that's why Paul says, don't set your affections on this earth, but set them on high. And I believe every true believer has this yearning deep within your soul for something more. There's more. This, this can't be it. And there's a yearning deep inside of you. As I want to break down this holy city that is our destiny, I'm going to give you some principles that begin with D. And I want you to notice as we looked in the screen, verses 15 and 16, notice the dimensions of the new Jerusalem, the dimensions of this city. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof, verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the length is large and breadth, and be measured of the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. This is a cubical city. How big is the place? It's massive. 1,500 miles each way. It's four square. It's approximately 550 kilometers. It's about, my goodness, I did a bit of calculation. It's about 10 times the size of Germany, 10 times the size of France. Population in the millions. The city will be square, four square. There's a denomination called the four square denomination. And it's going to be an incredible cube-like city where we're going to dwell and be in this new Jerusalem forever. This is our eternal destiny, this city. So we see the dimensions of the city, but what is the description of the city? Verse 7 and 8, we see a description of the city. I want you to notice verse 7 and 8. And he that overcometh, sorry, uh, description, did we say 7 and 8? Well, 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 okay, hold on a second. The holy city will be different than anything, we'll get to the verse in a moment, different than anything you've ever seen or heard of ever before. It is a place that will be filled with joy and bliss. There'll be no sin there, nothing whatsoever. And I want you to see what's going to take place within that city. This is the description. Notice what it says. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, watch this, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, 
shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death what kind of description is listen there's going to be no slums no sin no ungodliness no impurity it's going to be characterized by holiness just think of, imagine living in a city where there's no sin imagine living in a city where there's no crime imagine living in a city where there's no ghettos what a description it's going to be absolutely incredible no corruption no evil no lies It'll be holy because everything and everyone in the city is holy, is transformed. Notice verses 12 and 14. Watch this now. We go a little bit deeper. 12 and 14. And it had walls. Listen, this city has a, a wall, great wall, high, 12 gates. At the gates, 12 angels. And the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. My goodness, the entrance to this city, twelve gates, twelve angels, the names of the twelve tribes of Israel and the apostles. This is incredible. Verse 14, the walls of the city have twelve foundations. Apostles of the Lamb, the Lamb of God. You'll see the term used for Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. Yes, we see lion. But you know, amazingly, amazingly, you see Jesus as a lamb in Revelation. This is the risen Christ. Why would Jesus be referred to as a resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation as a lamb? He's mentioned the lamb over and over and over again because I believe we should never forget what he did for us on Calvary. The sacrifice he did. How he shed his blood. You see, if it wasn't for the lamb, there'd never be a purpose for the lion. So the lamb is focal even in the book of Revelation. It will always be focal. The lamb is always presented. Jesus is the only true lamb of God and this is why John the Baptist said in John chapter 1 when he saw the Messiah approaching him the first thing that came into his heart he could have said here's the savior of the world here is the Messiah here is the king of kings he could have said anything he wanted to say and they would all be true but what does John the Baptist say about Jesus first and here behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world that is the most important the lamb, the lamb, the lamb and so we see Israel, we see the church there, we see Israel there we see, we see New Testament saints that gave their lives to Christ who were martyred there, three groups of people verse 25 we see something, tells us that the gates don't need to be shut, verse number 25, look what the Bible says here it says, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for where shall be no night we don't know reason to shut the gates of this city first of all there's no night don't need to shut the gates because there's no danger 
Don't need to shut any gates. No fear. There's no enemies. The enemy's gone. He's cast into the lake of fire forever. No night. No confusion. Look at verse 17. And he measured the walls there of a hundred and forty and forty cubits according to the measures of, of a man. That is the angel. About, that's 250 feet high. Might seem small to some of us. But it's not designed to keep enemies out. People aren't trying to leave this place. There's no defense. There's no need for protection. And the city is situated on a foundation of precious stones. Look at verse 19 and 20. And the foundations of the walls of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, second sapphire, and the third kalakadani, and the fourth an emerald, and the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth sardis, and the seventh chrysosolite, and, and beryl, and all kinds of different precious stones. Surrounding the place. And we see a similarity. The Bible always confirms the Bible. In Revelation 4, John sees in the third verse, he says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven. And he sat down and looked upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow upon the throne and emeralds. John sees a throne of God filled with precious stones. And now we see another glimpse of these precious stones in the new Jerusalem and they all speak of something they all have significance and meaning speaking of his majesty and his glory it's absolutely brilliant it's absolutely indescribable you cannot really describe what this is like it's beyond human words no man can fully describe what the new Jerusalem is like the point is eternity is a place where you and I, every true believer, will spend. It is a glorious memorial of Christ, this place. And when you walk by the gates into the city, you will be reminded of His majesty and His glory and His power. Verse 18, we come to the streets of gold. And people say, now wait a minute, they're made of gold. And the Bible says they're crystal. How can they be made out of gold if they're crystal? How can they be made out of gold if they're transparent? Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got a gold ring. You've got a gold ring. I don't see it being transparent to you. There's nothing transparent about this. Do you have any gold on you? Look at it. It's not transparent. Ah, ah, hold on to your hats. Hold on to your hats. The purer the gold is, the more clear it becomes. Now we got 10 carats, 18 at the most. You got 22? Hey, your gold's pretty pure. But it's not close enough to the streets of gold. I'm sorry. In other words, every, any jeweler will tell you the purer the gold, the clearer it is. This gold will be so pure, so pure, that you're going to see the light through it like you would see crystal. That's why it's called crystal. Because it's transparent this gold is so pure it's transparent and the light will shine hey there won't be a moon or a sun the light will be 24 7 you won't need to sleep you're gonna have a glorified body 
and we don't have to walk and you won't have a limp you know you, you know what I'm saying you'll be just you know, you're going to just go wherever you're going to go and you, you, you say hey you want to have a cup of coffee I'll be there in a moment oh, you'll be there in a moment alright it's, it's, it's going to be something that's hard for us to grasp in our natural minds in these streets would be so pure and this again a picture of his glory everything you see in the new Jerusalem is a picture of the glory of God the precious stones the streets of gold the pearly gates everything reflects his glory and his majesty in this city there will be a source of light so brilliant so magnificent it's beyond our understanding what we do know is that Jesus will be our light and I was reading something I did my daily devotions I'm in the book of John and I came to something that really touched my heart oh my brothers and sisters how amazing the Bible is how absolutely I mean you can't even compare it remotely to any book and as we're studying the book of John I came to John chapter 8 where Jesus is at the feast of Hanukkah or the dedication Hanukkah was a celebration where the Jews would celebrate uh, their victory over the Maccabees where they came to try to destroy the, not the Maccabees the Greek um, uh, uh, Tiffany's he came to destroy and he sacrificed a, a, a pig upon the altar to make a long story short what took place is they needed to clean the temple and they didn't have enough light and history tells us they were able to have enough light on hardly any oil and it went on for several several days and they celebrate Hanukkah and the f- festival of Hanukkah and Jesus was at this dedication feast in the temple and they were, he, they were celebrating Jesus went to the feast to proclaim his messiahship at the feasts and so here he is at the feast of Hanukkah dedication and he ends up part of the temple where there were 16 bowls of oil that were lit and it illuminated the whole temple and this was a picture of the light that illuminated the temple during Hanukkah or when they needed to see and have light to clean the temple as they looked at this as the most incredible miracle and so Jesus stood, this is, this is facts and I actually, I didn't know this till recently so Jesus stands in the temple where they have the 16 bowls of light and what does he do? the Bible says he declares, he shouts and he said, I am the light of the world did you see that he said I am the bread he said I am the living water Jesus used these situations and these feasts to describe who he is I am the Greek word it's the same term used by God when he spoke to Moses but Lord I don't know what they're not going to believe me who do I tell? What do I, who sent me? What am I? You tell them I am I, that I am. This is the same term that Jesus used. I am. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the good shepherd. Did you see that? And so we have this light in the new Jerusalem 
that's going to keep shining over. There's, there's no shadows. It's a continuous light because he is the light. Notice Revelation 21 verses 23 and 24. Look what it says. And the city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in for the glory of God. You see this light is his glory. Whenever you see light, it speaks of his glory. The glory of God did lit in it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The Lamb is the light. Jesus is not only proclaiming that he's the light of the world in John chapter 8 before the Jews and before the Pharisees, but here he is. This light echoes and continues here into the new Jerusalem. Can you imagine that everlasting light? It's also a light that, look, that John saw on the Isle of Patmos. Here is John who wrote this book. He's banished on the Isle of Patmos off the coast of Greece. It's about five miles long. Small island. Left there to die, to starve to death. The Bible says that John was in the spirit. He was in prayer. He was crying out to God. He wasn't whining or complaining. He was praying. Crying out to God. He said, oh God, why am I here? I, I followed you all my life and why am I going through this? He never said that. He's crying out to God. He's waiting on God. And the Bible says that as he was in the spirit, he heard a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which thou seest. Write these things down. And of course, we have the seven churches that Jesus told John to write and it was given to them. We've talked about the seven churches. But what I want you to notice is verse 16 of chapter 1. Here's John. He sees Jesus for who he is. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the Lion of Judah who's come back and he's got a word to tell John. And this is what John does. He sees him. He falls down as a dead man. He sees Jesus for who he is. Notice verse, verse 12 here. says, And I turned and I see the voice speaking to me. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the son of... Did you see? One like the son of man. Did we see this before? I don't think you're convinced. Go back please, George, to Daniel 7.13. Go back to Daniel 7.13, please. The Bible confirms the Bible. Do we see the Son of Man? Yes, we do. Look what it says. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. This is a theophany. This was Jesus in the Old Testament. Now fast forward to the book of Revelation. We see Jesus again. We see him right here. Son of Man. Now notice verse 16. What does John see about Jesus? Verse 16, watch this. And he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, sharp two-edged sword, that's the word, and his countenance was what? Did you see that? As. But this is beyond any son. Jesus is the light of the world. Not only in this world today, but in the world to come. Imagine no night, no moon, no sleep. You will never get tired. You'll never have the excuse, hey Alice, are you coming to church this morning? Well, I'd like to, but I'm tired. You won't have that excuse. That's just for free. But... Uh, <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Oh, what a day that will be. I'm just getting, I'm just getting really excited right now. I just, what a day. A brilliant light. Pearly gates, golden streets. Truly, the Bible has it 100% accurate when Paul tells us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor even can comprehend the things that God has prepared for those who love him. My friends, God has something prepared for you. Something that I, can, I can't describe. This I, My words pale in comparison to what is written. I can attempt, bah, but it's just a meager attempt because I can't describe to you what awaits all of us who have our hope in him. Oh, what a day that will be. And then we come to something in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 in the book of Revelation. We see a revised version of the Garden of Eden. I want you to notice what happens here. And and he showed me, this is a vision, John had the greatest visions, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. There we go again now. So now he's depicting the water as clear as the streets of gold. Same thing. Proceeding out of the throne of God the Lamb of God. And in the midst of the streets, on the other side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing, the nations. There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants shall serve. Please, please underscore the servants shall serve that's huge because we're going to close with that but notice we come to some tree a tree of life in the midst in the city on its banks river this is a picture of paradise regained the garden of eden renewed once it was guarded by cherubims and angels with flaming swords to keep people out but now beckons these citizens to come in and to drink Jesus says come and drink chapter 22 notice here and if any man shall take away the words of life shall take it away from him notice even so come quickly but I come quickly he says if any man thirst any man thirst let him come and drink freely notice verse 17 and let him that a thirst come and whosoever will let him take of this water freely Jesus said this throughout his teachings. He said this again in John chapter 7. He said it to the woman of the well. Jesus speaks of water. He speaks of the light. He speaks of the bread. These are things we need for physical sustenance. Well, so it is in the spiritual realm. Have you seen the light? And whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. If you're not in the light, it's because the devil has blinded you, you see. When you're talking to people that are indifferent, they don't believe. They're blinded because the devil has blinded them. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. They're not blinded because they decided to put a, 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 you know, some cloak over their eye. They're in deceit and they're, they've been deceived. Yes, their own, their own lifestyle has caused it, but, but they're still in darkness. So Jesus is characterized in three elements here that is the very sustenance of life. We need light. We need bread. Bread speaks of sustenance. 
And we need water. And shelter. He also calls himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd protects his sheep. Guides his sheep. Keeps them from harm. Has a rod and a staff that comfort us. A rod that might chasten us every so often. And a staff that will rescue us when we get caught in between rocks or in the thicket. And we can't get out. And God will come and take his staff that's curved at the end to rescue us. My God. A very present help in time of trouble. My God, he comes. That the mountains shake like the swelling thereof. God is in the midst. Take my feet upon a rock and established my goings. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's my light. He's my water. He's my bread. He's my shepherd. My God. And he bids me to come and drink. He's always bidding his people to come and drink. Have you had a drink lately? To drink of those waters. Are you filled? That's what you, when you think about drink, drink. But doesn't the Bible say that in Ephesians 5, 18? Be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit of God. You have to keep on being filled. That's what it means in the Greek. You have to keep on drinking, if you will, in the Spirit. Reason why some of us are dry, the reason why some of us have lost our prayer lives, the reason why some of us don't like to study or read His Word, the reason why we, 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 we have no desire or little desire for the things of God is because you've stopped drinking. Can I be straight with you? Can I be honest with you? You can't live a spiritual life without drinking. It's a, you can't. It's impossible. If you remember, it's what brought fuel to the disciples' lives. They were like bumbling, stumbling fools in many cases. But when they were filled with the Spirit of God, something happened. Something transformed them. If you're thirsty, Jesus said, come and drink. That still exists today. Now, I've got to pause for a minute because I've got to ask a question. Will we be eating in the New Jerusalem? Absolutely. Are we going to be eating in heaven? Absolutely. But someone might say, but pastor, we have glorified bodies. Why would we want to eat? Well, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus not eat after the resurrection? Absolutely. Did he not have a glorified body? Absolutely. It seems a little strange. Can you go further? I will go further. Why is there going to be eating in heaven? Why is there going to be, like we just read about the tree of life, this, this, this surplus of, of certain leaves and fruit? What, what's going on here? Well, let me just say this, friends. Not only did Jesus eat after the resurrection... In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, it speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be some eating in heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a supper. It's a dinner. 
It's a glorified dinner. And there's going to be some souvlaki there and some spanakopita, I promise you. Roast lamb, absolutely. I, and maybe a few Jamaican patties, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure about that, but you never know. Some hot sauce for sure, for Gloria. There's going to be some hot sauce there, I guarantee you. But maybe not, because you're always going to be hot anyway. The hot of the, I mean, the spirit will be, I, I'm not sure about that one, but you never know. The fire of God will burn you up in, 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 a, in, a, in a passionate way, so I'm not sure there's going to, but there's going to be some kind of eating, but stay with me, I don't want to lose you. I can see some of your skepticism. It's not to sustain your bodies. You're not eating food to have your body sustained like we do now. So why do we have to eat? Thank you for asking. I'm not going to answer it now. <laughs> Stay with me to the end of the message. I've got a few more moments. But suffice to say that the eating we're going to be doing in glory is not to sustain us physically. In other words, you're not going to eat uh, uh, because you need it to be alive. That's not the same reason. Not at all. You eat to stay alive, to function in the natural realm, but not the spiritual realm. It's completely different. You see, friends, we eat together as believers for fellowship and communion. It's a part of fellowship. It's a part of communion. Celebration. We know in the custom of old, and even in my custom, in the Greeks, we, we, a lot of times we just have dinner, or we invite people over. It's not so much for the food, it's for the fellowship. Any European, do you understand what I'm talking about? I understand other, other cultures as well. But this is why we eat, many of us. It's, it's a form of fellowship. When you invite someone, you want to get to know them, you invite them for dinner. But really, it's the fellowship. So I'm expecting to be invited, please. I'm not happy. I've got lots of time, you know. I mean, but it's the fellowship. Fellowship. So we're going to be eating in heaven, but it's not to be sustained physically. We don't need to be sustained. We have glorified bodies. But it's a fellowship. It's a great banquet of, fellow, of celebration. Very important. Do you remember? Let me, let me just go further. Do you remember the angels that came to visit Abraham in Genesis? Remember that? Okay, Elaine, you said yes. What happened? No, I'm glad. But do you remember what they came? They had a message for Abraham. And what did Abraham do? He made some something. To, they ate. These angels ate. This, so, but they, angels don't need to eat. They had some fellowship. They talked things over. And be careful, friends, because some of you are entertaining people. You think they're just people. They might be, but some of you have entertained angels unaware. You think, but God has sent someone and they're angels. And some of them eat. I, I, you might think, this, wait, wait, Pastor, this is getting a little strange. No, there's a spiritual purpose to all of this. There's a reason. There's a reason. And so, we see a glorified communion service going on. And that's why I want to have the communion service at the end of the service. And so what we have now, the description, we got the dimensions. What about my next D? These are principles with D. What about the denial? The denial to this city. What are the, de- we have the description, we got the dimensions. What about the denials? In other words, who's going there and who's not? 
who's going there and who is not what are the denials notice please verse number 8 oh my friends uh, you know uh, this isn't easy but I'm telling you the Bible is the Bible it's the word of God and you can be sure the fearful the word fearful here in the Greek also can be interpreted cowards the cowardly and why would it say coward I'll tell you what it means I'll tell you what that word means in this context are you ready it means cowardly those who never stood for their convictions in God Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel these people were ashamed and they didn't stand fast they didn't stand fast in their faith they wavered that's what that word means fearful <gasps> oh what is he going to think of me oh my boss he, he, he knows I'm a Christian now I'm going to get fired fearful the fearful listen brothers and sisters when you come to Christ and you have an authentic experience with God there's no room for fear there's no room for fear goodness sakes that's the problem we, there's too many of us that don't have enough conviction to speak the truth but somebody just said here whom the sun sets free is what? Well, in our prayer this morning well what does that mean? if you're living in fear you're not free you're not free so the cowardly fearful the unbelieving that's pretty obvious the abominable, the murderers, obvious, the whoremongers. This has something to do not just with fornication, but spiritual fornication. Serving many gods. I know I've met some of those. Oh yeah, I, I go to church. Yeah, but I also go to the temple here, and I also go over here. And Oh really? Can't serve two masters. Sorcerers, idolaters. That's part of it right there. Lot. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you know. We have, real, we have no problem. Yeah, adulterers are going to hell and killers are going to hell and, and you're going to hell. And but Liars? Really? Pastors, everybody lies. Well, look, when we talk about, when the Bible talks about liars, first of all, it's written in the present participle, so you keep on lying. But number two, what it's referring here are liars who lie about truth. They, they're, not, they're, they're living double lives. Their, their lives are lies now that doesn't give you license to lie but this term means your life is a lie in other words you're a hypocrite are y'all with me? y'all with me? so please I don't want to hear about white lies or oh, pastor white lies white lies are lies so I don't want to hear letters pastor said it's okay to lie never said that I'm only telling you what the Greek says okay This is denials shall have their part in the lake. Oh my goodness, that burneth with. Pastor, are you going to preach this stuff again? Absolutely. That's the problem. We don't preach enough about this because we're scared of what people might think. So I don't want to preach about hell because people will get upset with me. I don't want to go to a church that talks about it. And so I want to. And you've heard me preach this every Sunday almost. I'm talking about this wave of deception that's hit the church the last 15 years especially the last 5 years 
It's called universalism. It's a doctrine. And these people are saying that everybody is saved because when Jesus died on the cross and he said, forgive them for they know not what they do, they take that out of context and they say, well, you see, pastor, everybody is saved. Jesus said, forgive them. Everybody. Hitler saved. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've talked to people. Right? He saved. Well, how can they... Because Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he died on the cross, his love forgives everybody. I said, he forgives everybody even if you don't want to be forgiven? Yeah. Even if you don't come to Christ? Oh, yeah, you're forgiven. Even if you live a life of, uh, yeah. Oh, really? Really? Well, the Bible says, if everybody's forgiven, what's this second death that the Bible speaks of? What's this lake of fire the Bible speaks of? What, 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 What is what Jesus speaks about? For one word he uses about heaven, he uses three for hell. Did you know that? Why would the Bible spend so much time talking about a place of darkness if there was no place of darkness? Don't be deceived. There is a hell, my friends, and there's a heaven. And you got a choice. Where are you going to go? You got two paths in life, the broad and the narrow. It's your choice what path to take. God always gives us the choice. That's what love is. God will give you the choice. What is love? He died for you. That's the ultimate of love. But now you've got a choice. Either you're going to follow him or you're not going to follow him. That's your choice. And so there are denials. There are some denials. Not everybody's going there. Matthew chapter 7 tells us Jesus verse 21 not everyone that say to me Lord Jesus Lord Lord shall enter into the kingdom of God oh really but he that what he that what obedience there's that word we don't want to talk about anymore either we don't want to talk about hell we don't want to talk about sin we don't want to talk about obedience because we're fearful of what man says. So I want, I want to preach on something that people are going to get excited about. I want to preach on something that's, that, 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 that draws people. Pastor, I don't want to preach to just a few. I want to preach where everybody's. I want a big church. So I'm going gonna, gonna to stay away from these subjects. Because they're not attractive subjects. Well, go ahead. Stay away and suffer the consequences. But my Bible tells me that not everyone's going to enter, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Let's continue. Let's continue. Please. Many, many. Did you see? Did you? Look, look, folks. I like every word. I don't know about you, but I like every word. It says many, not some. It doesn't say many, not few. Many, not just like you. Many, many. That's the majority. The majority. Didn't say said to me, in that day, what day? The day of judgment. The day of the, the day of listen. There's a day coming. There's a day, folks. I'm telling. There's a day coming where we will be brought before the Lord, and we will have to give an account of our lives. I repeat again. We will all have a give an account of our lives. We will all have to give an account of our lives. Those that know, those that don't know, all of us are going to go before the Lord, and we're going to give an account. Lord, have we not prophesied? Well, I went to church, and I had, I gave a prophecy once. I, I, I remember one day I was uh, there and I talked to somebody and I gave him a prophetic word. And he was really blessed. Okay? Did we not prophesy in thy name? Okay? 
and in thy name have we not cast out yes and, and I was in a service and man that pre- boy I tell you just some demons just came out and crushed scared it was incredible but boy what a service I was and in thy name done many uh oh uh oh miracles I've seen oh yeah you've, you've, you've seen you've heard all these miracles I've, I've listened to one man and he's saying the last crusade that they were on it's a few years ago there were like 400 people got healed oh really okay That's, I'm not skeptical of the healing I'm just skeptical, you know, skeptical of all these numbers and all these people and all these so called I'm not sure I don't know that's what you say in my name there'll be a lot of miracles and works signs and wonders and then after you've said that after you've tried to give an account after you have said what you've done I've given you the opportunity this is God's holy courtroom session is taking place the court said there's no lawyer there that can bail you out nobody can plead your cause no fancy words can deliver you and then I will profess unto them I never knew you depart from me you workers of he's talking to supposed believers these are believers I repeat these are supposed believers these are not pagans or atheists these are believers who got good Christian jargon they talk about deliverance and healing and God's moving all these words that we use but whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them obedience obedience and the little things and so this place is not for everyone only those who have been redeemed those who know him who love him this is our hope this is our destiny we're just passing by my brothers and my sisters I say this almost every sermon please don't plant your roots deep in this earth don't do it yeah we gotta work we gotta eat we gotta survive I'm not of course you gotta find a job you gotta, you gotta go to school of course I did all that too but don't lose focus in the affairs of this world that's what I'm saying live you live in this world but don't lose focus don't be caught up in the things of this world because one day it's all gonna go it's done then what then what oh but Lord you know I worked hard on my job and my friend did it What is appointed unto man, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man, it is appointed unto man. Appointed means that God knows, God directs, God's in control. He knows when you're going to die. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows where you live. He knows what you're doing. It is appointed unto man once to die, once to die, once we're all going to die. Should the Lord come, should Terry, we're all going to, once to, and then, and then after that comes the. Oh, pastor, you're preaching this again. I rather warn you and get you ready than preach nice fancy messages, have this church packed and say, oh wow, and then when the time comes, 
<laughs> I got to close, but I, I there's some things that we're not going to be seeing in heaven. We see the denials, but there's still some more things. First of all, in heaven, there'll be no sanctuary, no need for a sanctuary, no church building. We see this Revelation 21, verse 3, 20, 22. No place. Jesus will be our sanctuary. The whole place will be a sanctuary. There's no confines. In heavens, there's no need. Eternal intimacy will be there. The building just will get in the way. There's no need for a building. Number two, there'll be no sunlight. Verse 23, Jesus will be our sun. Jesus will be the light. No need for the moon or the stars. Number three, there's no sickness in heaven. Verse four, the older we get, the more we might get excited about this. Verse 4, no sorrow, no pain, nothing. I love that song, soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. No more crying there. No more dying there. There's no hospitals, no medicine, no doctors. My goodness, it's going to be a great place. No sickness. There's going to be no sadness in heaven. Verse 4, God's going to wipe away all our tears. No sadness because there's no recollection of pain. There's no sadness because there's no feeling or emotions of these things. It's not part of our DNA anymore. We've been transformed. We've been glorified. We don't have that tendency. We don't have that propensity to cry anymore we don't have that propensity to feel bad anymore we don't have that propensity to to be upset anymore because we've been transformed there's no more the body no longer exists as we know it we are glorified then there's no separation verse 1 of chapter 21 no farewell parties nothing there's no barriers notice what it says in verse number 1 and I saw heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the earth was passed away and there was no more sea this speaks of separation John no more separation no more going to the airport and saying goodbye to your loved ones no more funerals and saying goodbye to someone's passed away no more funerals think about it no more separation nothing then there's no sin because there's no sin no sin chapter 21 verse 8 and 27 chapter 22 verse 3 no sin it's all gone there'll be no curse the Bible says anymore verse 3 of 22 no curse the curse is removed it's all gone the lion took care of it the lion of Judah took care of it and so pastor good 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 so what are we going to do thank you for asking what are we going to do in heaven I said I got to close and I'm going to close but I I forgot to ask you if I can have a few more seconds I forgot to ask you it's only 1140 I got 5 hours how about you Oh, goodness, somebody came out. Somebody said, I got another one over here. That's good. Two out of a hundred. That's, that's not bad. What are we going to do? All right, let's just wrap it up. Are you ready? Well, Elaine, you're going to like this one. There'll be a lot of singing. A lot of singing in heaven, man. A lot of worship. We see this everywhere. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 and 6. We're going to see all kinds of singing and worship and hallelujah chorus. Hey, Gloria, your favorite chorus, your favorite song is going to come. I, I, I give a hallelujah, a hallelujah chorus. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people saying, to, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Look at verse number six. Look at verse number six. We don't have time to get into the rest of it. And I heard there were voice of great multitude, a voice of many waters and the voice of many thundering, saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth forever. All nations and groups 
are going to be there. It's going to be one, one great glorified time of worship. Nations coming together. Jews and Gentiles say under the blood. Coming together. Tribulation saints coming together. All kinds of hallelujah. It's going to be personal. You've experienced something. Those who are going to the New Jerusalem have experienced Christ. You've, it's a song you've experienced. It's the song of the redeemed. Let the redeemed say so. Say something. Sing something. Something's happened to you. I can't do it for you. Only you can do it because it's written in your heart. It's your own hallelujah. I can't praise for you. You got to do it for yourself. My God, we're going to be singing. We're going to be praising. Number two, there's going to be a lot of service. Notice verse number three of chapter 22. We're going to be, see I told you to underscore it. I told you to write it down. Look at this. Look what it says in verse number three of chapter 22. And there'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb, watches shall be, and his servants shall serve him. Hallelujah. There's going to be a lot of service. That's the, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Those that preach? No. Those who serve. If you're a servant, a true servant, you're a thousand times better than I am. A thousand times. A hundred thousand times. Servant. Are you a servant? Do you do things behind closed doors just to do it to please God? And you don't want anybody to know about it? You're a servant. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of God are, and we're going to have a lot of service going on. We're going to serve the king. We're going to be doing some, there's going to be some activity going on, my friends. There's going to be service without limitations and everyone will have a different responsibility. Did not Jesus say, because you were faithful, Matthew 25, I'll make you rulers over five cities, ten cities. In other words, friends, you're going to have responsibilities in heaven, but it's going to be a responsibility in heaven given to you by how you lived on earth. How you obeyed on earth. That's why he said, some I'll give five, some I'll give ten. So the more obedience, the more you get. Do you see what I'm saying? And so for those who say, yeah, I believe in God, but you're not a servant, you're not going to get much. Imagine the Bible speaks of casting your crowns at his feet, Revelation 4. All the gifts we got, the crowns he gave us. Remember the Bible speaks of crowns? Can you imagine, Brother Walden, you're up there, but you got no crown to cast at his feet? A lot of service, and finally, finally, we'll be sharing in fellowship. Koyenya. After the service, we're going to have some Koyenya, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Koyenya, fellowship. It's a glorified communion service forever. All nations coming together. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. Different tribes and nations. No generation gaps. No young or old. We're all one. There'll be great reunions in heaven. I'm going to see my sister. (laughs) I love my sister so much, you know. I miss her. The greatest Christian I know is my sister. I'm going to see her. I'm going to see my dad. Love my dad. Oh, we had great times together. My dad. going to see my dad. It's going to be a great time of reunion and fellowship. Never to say goodbye again. <sighs> My sister, she was dying and she said, you know, I'm going. But I'm not saying goodbye to you. I'm going to see you soon. 
could be sharing, fellowship, service, responsibilities, and a lot of worship. Hallelujah. And so, have you packed up? As I said two weeks ago. Are you looking up? Are you packed up? Hey, are you packed up? Think about it. Are you still have your clothes all over the place because you're not ready, if you know what I mean. Have you looked up? When these signs come, Jesus said, lift up your head for what? Joth nigh, it's coming. Are you looking up? And I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm going up. <laughs> for the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Be caught up together in the air. Caught up. <sighs> Have you made that reservation? I'm going to invite the musicians to come. Now you know why I wanted to have the communion now. Because in heaven we're going to have one Holy Ghost, holy, eternal communion service. What is the communion service? It focuses on who? Jesus. In heaven, all the focus is who? Jesus. Do you know every time we have the communion, we are depicting his coming, and we're actually depicting the new Jerusalem? You say, really, Pastor? What did Jesus say? Do these things in remembrance of me until I... And many times he spoke of the wine and he spoke about you were not going to have it until you enter into my Father's kingdom. What do you think he's talking about? Either the marriage supper of the Lamb or, or right here in the New Jerusalem. Something eternal. There's going to be a lot of fellowship in heaven, my friends. If you don't like fellowship now, <laughs> you better get used to it. And for some of you that are away from church because of whatever reason, get back. Because that's the purpose of the church. For what? The church typifies what we're going to be doing in heaven. Do you see it? I repeat, coming together to church typifies what we're going to be doing in heaven. Fellowshipping one with another. And honoring the king. Let's just sing a chorus before we do it.